Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome, it's time, UAP episode 69 of the Unidentified Alien podcast. Stephen Diener right here with you, and I am Happy to be back, thrilled to be back actually with another new episode of UAP coming off of uh, UAP Weekly just a few days ago. Thank you all for your response to that. I'm really happy that I've been able to get that going and it's uh, working out so far. So far so good a couple weeks into that. But thank you once again for joining me here on another UAP adventure as we now get ready to embark on a journey down under to explore some very strange cases that have mystified investigators for decades Because today we will be looking into some of the biggest UAP cases in modern Australian history, including, but not limited to, the story of the disappearance of a pilot named Fred Valentich. That's a tough one. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. So we're going to talk about that. And um, I know I always say this, but (laughs) I'm really excited to talk about these cases. I feel like I say that all the time, probably because I do. And I really am excited, though. It's it's. This is stuff that uh, has been on my shortlist for a while now, so I'm happy to, to finally be able to discuss them with you because literally, I'm not kidding you, every time I go into like my notes and everything, I see these stories that I'm going to get to talk to you about today, I see them in there in my notes, I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that stuff, and <laughs> finally have been able to get to it now on this new episode, episode 69 of UAP, but first... You know, before we get there, we have to hit our factoid. So let's go ahead and start off there. Factoid. All right, there it is. It's time for the factoid. And actually, I wanted to revisit something that uh, I kind of mentioned, I touched on during UAP Weekly when that came out a few days ago. And that's this, it's probably the hottest discussion right now, actually, within the UAP world. And it's the sighting the Black Triangle UAP at uh, 29 Palms Military Base in California. If You know, again, I I'm kind of briefly mentioned it in UAP Weekly, but I wanted to do a little bit of a dive for the factoid because it really is a, uh, it's, it's an interesting case. It's something that's, well, first, if you're not familiar with it, let me give you the, 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 the background. It's Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. Now, George Knapp, who actually spoke about just a few weeks ago on UAP, um, we had pieces of his interviews and everything like that. So, and he's a, obviously a famous UFO investigator. It was during the uh, Tonopah Test Range episode when we talked about Area 52 because he did a lot of investigations into that. So we had some of his, um, cited his investigations during that episode. So George Knapp has been around a long time looking into these things. And Jeremy Corbell has been around a while too, not as long as George Knapp, but He's been around, you know, doing his podcast, doing his shows on YouTube, talking about all these different investigations and sightings that uh, he comes across. So the story goes that he, what Jeremy Corbell was um, presented with this sighting of a black triangle, UAP, UFO, whatever term you want to use, at this military base called 29 Palms in California. And when he was presented this, it was back in 2021, April of 2021. So we're talking a solid two years. 
According to his account, he and George Knapp have been working together on this siding for two years, talking to witnesses, talking to the Marines at the base, over 50, by the way. So this is, you consider this a mass sighting at a military base. It's a pretty big deal. And that's why this one's getting a lot of attention. Um, and they interviewed some of these Marines and they talked about, yeah, look, you know, we don't know what we saw. You can kind of make out this uh, this this black triangle craft that is you know being made up by these triangle of lights so of course the biggest thing is in the video and the pictures that have been going around for the past few days surrounding the sighting the biggest argument against it has been that it's flares and so that's kind of the the back and forth you know is this flares is it an actual sighting of a uap over a military base and how many times have we heard of that before i mean going back decades and we've covered a lot of that here on uap and the, I mean, the other interesting thing for me, and this just goes to show you how you know big this discussion has become in recent years and how uh, how much this sighting in particular is really taking off. This has been picked up by international media. It's been on NBC. It's been on CBS. It's been on uh, the Daily Mail out of the UK. So this this story is really kind of caught fire within the past you know three or four days, and it is. It's look. It's a compelling sighting. I don't know what it is. Could it be the classic triangle type of, you know, UFO, UAP? Could it be, you know, something related to the Phoenix Lights? I know that's a long time ago, but anytime somebody brings up a triangle UAP, that's the first thing that pops into my mind, just like a lot of other people's, that famous mass sighting, maybe the most famous in modern history, which was the Phoenix Phoenix Lights back in uh, 1997 with the giant triangle UAP that came flying over Phoenix. So... Is this, you know, that type of realm that we're talking about? Look, it's over 50 Marines who saw it on this military base. The video's out there. Like I said, it's being picked up by international media. The problem is, is that it is unidentified. It is a true UAP, an unidentified aerial phenomenon. Or if you want to go with the other abbreviation, an unidentified flying object. Either way, it's the same thing. It's in the air. We don't know what it is. And now you have people trying to debunk it saying that, well, look, it's just flares. You know, I can superimpose the image of flares that were used during a training exercise and put it over this image of this triangle UAP, and look, it matches up. But then you have these interviews from these Marines who say, no, these aren't flares. We work with the type of flares that people are saying that they are, and we know how those flares move. We know how long they stay in the air. Those flares dissipate after a couple minutes, and they move in the air. These lights did not do that. They stayed in the air for more than 10, 15 minutes, and they stayed steady in the air. They didn't flicker around like flares do. So it does re- kind of remains a mystery, which is why, um, you know, the fact that it was over military base, the fact that it was seen by over 50 Marines and people within that area. And it's this, you know, kind of, again, the modern day fascination surrounding the UAP discussion, all those things put together. And this really has become like the talk of the town when it comes to sightings and everything right now. So. That's what's going on. That's the latest when it comes to the 29 Palms sighting. If you weren't really up to date there, that's kind of the uh, gist of it. So I will definitely keep you up to date on that case as the details continue really to develop and pour in in real time because I have a sneaking suspicion that we've only just begun with that case right there. But it is fascinating. We kind of get to discuss and um, investigate a, a sighting as it's happening, you know, so I think that's pretty cool. Now, though, it's time to get into these stories out of Australia. And believe it or not, the continent down under 
has a rich history with UAP sightings and lore. And that's what I'm saying. This is a lot of stuff that I've been seeing in my notes. I'm like, I want to get to this one day. So that's why I'm excited to do it here today because there's a lot that's happened in Australia, even dating back thousands of years ago to cave uh, paintings from the uh, Aboriginal people. The, the, there are reports of you know secret military bases in Australia, tons of intrigue with the top secret NSA facility at Pine Gap. I mean, that, there's a lot of talk that, that goes around there. But for today, I want to start back in the 1970s to begin this uh, talk of, you know, Australian sightings. And we're going to talk about the man that I mentioned at the start of the show. His name is Fred Valentich, and we're going to explore the question of how he, a pilot, Fred Valentich, seemingly vanished into thin air while speaking with air traffic control. So here's how his story begins as we begin to go down under in these Australian mysteries. October 21st, 1978. At 6.20 p.m., Fred climbed aboard a rented Cessna 182 single-engine plane for a routine cargo flight. A common occurrence in a vast country where light aircraft are a regular form of transportation the plan to pick up an order of crayfish. All right, so as you can hear, things started out fine. It was just another routine flight, you know, like they always are, right? It's always just another normal day routine flight. You're going to pick up a shipment of crayfish. Sure, it's all good. It's no problem. So to set the scene a little more, Fred was flying out of southeastern Australia, just outside of Melbourne. Um, It was a nice clear day, okay? No uh, reported air traffic around him, basically just flying alone and the middle of nowhere, essentially, and going down over the water to a place called King's Island. Uh, visibility was good, as reported during that day. It's also important to note that, according to the records, the airplane was up to date on its maintenance and considered to be in good shape. He was good to go. It was nice out, no one out around him, good conditions. The, 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 the airplane was in good shape. Everything was fine. But as Fred was about 45 minutes into his flight, he began to communicate with an air traffic controller named Steve Roby. And this wasn't just a normal check-in when it came to Fred and Steve Roby in their discussion here, because Fred was concerned and was looking for answers as he began to notice another craft flying in his vicinity. Now, the following clip you're about to hear is a recreation of the conversation that Fred Valentich had with Steve Roby. But you're also going to hear from Steve Roby himself, the air traffic controller that was having uh, this, this back and forth with Fred that day. He's going to read through the communication uh, transcript in this clip you're going to hear. And you're also going to hear the recreation of their conversation together. And this became actually the last time anyone would ever have a conversation with Fred Valentich. Here's how this, here's how this went. Frederick said, Melbourne, this is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000? I said, Delta Sierra Juliet, no known traffic. Seems to me there's a large aircraft below 5,000. I uh, got him to describe the aircraft. It is four bright, it seems to me like landing lights. Then he said, the aircraft has just passed over me at least a thousand feet above. 
He was describing it doing some fairly strange things. That's Sierra Junior. It seems to be that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at speeds I could not identify. All right. Um, man, that kind of gave me goosebumps. I'm not going to lie. So that's a lot to take in. Um, Fred is flying. Okay, he, He's going down to Kings Island down there, southern Australia, right off of uh, Melbourne in the in the Victoria area of Australia. And he's having this conversation. He's having now this sighting and imparting to Steve what he's seen. I mean, you heard it there. He's flying at 5,000 feet. All right, so basically just kind of cruising along at, I mean, kind of low altitude, right? So 5,000 feet. And this craft, as he's starting to, to describe it, is flying below him. And it has all these lights on it. And that's what you heard Steve Roby saying there. He's describing these, these lights almost looking like landing lights on this craft as it's flying around him. And there weren't any reports of another aircraft flying in the area that day. And then what I also found intriguing was what uh, Lou Elizondo refers to as one of the five um, observables. And that is the... Seemingly impossible, hard to explain maneuverability. He's talking about, you know, Fred was talking anyway in, the, in that transcript that Steve was reading from, from the conversation that they had back in 1978. He's talking about this, this maneuverability that he doesn't understand how it's moving back and forth the way it is above him, below him, and how fast it's going, how much it's speeding up. He couldn't even comprehend or measure how fast this thing was moving. So you're talking about one of the observables of a genuine UAP sighting right there. And they're trying to make sense of it as it's happening in real time. Could you imagine they're having this discussion? You're just, you know, if you're Steve Roby, you're just another day on the job, another quiet day in the air, you know, around Melbourne. And now you're talking to this pilot, this young pilot, who's saying he's seen something he cannot understand fly that's flying around him. And at this point... Fred began to tell Steve that his engine was actually starting to idle. And, of course, that is never a good sign. Um, this could go in line, actually, when you think about it, with other pilot stories that we've heard here on the show. When they encounter you know, these different UAP, they, they begin to uh, report interference with their instruments. In this case, though, you're talking about major interference. This is like different level when you have an engine that begins to, to, to actually stall out on you. So the back and forth between Fred and Steve continued for another few minutes at, at that point. And Fred became even more fearful because he was trying to understand what was flying around him. And if he, you know, is he going to make it through at this point? He's freaking out just like anybody else would, I'm sure. He's also trying to regain control of his Cessna airplane while he's trying to make out this aircraft that's flying around him. And, you know, he's got the whole thing about the engine idling. So after those brief moments... Steve lost contact from his air traffic control position. And unfortunately, Fred was never heard from or seen again. But at that point, so it's, it all happened so quick. I mean, they're having this discussion. They're going back and forth. Fred is trying to figure out with, with Steve what is happening. What is he seeing? And why can't he get his airplane to work in proper fashion right now? And within really just a few minutes, it was over. And Fred was gone. So this is what Steve Roby had to say about those final moments. It's kind of his, uh, his final wrap-up there. Just listening to him, 
I can still remember it distinctly. Um, the way he was speaking to me in a broken communication, a form of uh, hesitant communication, he definitely sounded uh, as if he was under stress. And I could just picture him sort of in the aircraft looking around for this object in the sky. Well, after losing contact, Steve did try to continue to reach Fred. I mean, you know, can you, you know, do, do you read me? Do you read me? That type of thing. But all he could hear on the other side of the radio was a strange humming noise and some type of static is how uh, Steve Roby described it when he was uh, talking about this, this back and forth that he had. So we can only assume what Fred encountered and what ultimately led to his sudden disappearance. I mean... Look, the, you have to ask the questions. Did he simply crash into the water as he was heading south? I mean, look, we're talking about an engine stalling out. He's flying over the water. That's not a good recipe. Or, dare I say, could this be a case of alien abduction? I mean, he's talking about this craft flying over him. What is happening there, right? He can't make it out. It's got all these lights. It's moving around in impossible speeds and, and different angles. The sad truth is no one can really say for sure what happened. There was never any sign of wreckage that was ever found from this. I mean, it's really almost uh, kind of reminiscent when you think about it to the Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. We talked about that, you know, a few months back on UAP, the famous disappearance there. Uh, obviously, this is on a much smaller scale, of course. But regardless, Fred Valentich disappeared. And the circumstances surrounding it continue to be one of the most perplexing mysteries in aviation and UAP history. Because no one knows what happened. His family never figured it out. Steve Roby never figured it out. The, you know, the, the investigators, nothing was ever found. And he vanished without a trace. So that is the, the story of Fred Valentich. It's a, it's a heavy one. But we're going to move on to our next story here. And we're going to go back to high school for this one, okay? I'd like to say we're going to lighten it up. But it's <laughs> thankfully no one disappeared during this story, but it is a mass sighting. It's a story of a mass sighting here as we go all the way back to 1966, to be exact, when uh, Australia had actually one of its most famous mass sightings in their history. And I'm wondering if it's going to remind you of the same thing that reminded me of when uh, you hear what happened here, how this all kind of started to, to go down as you listen to how the story of the Westall mass sighting began. At around 11am, a group of students and a teacher at Westall High School were finishing up a sports activity on their football oval when they noticed an object in the sky. The object was described as being silver with a purple hue and approximately the size of two or three cars. According to the witnesses, it hovered in the area for around 20 minutes before suddenly taking off at speed. Some further reported that when it departed, it was pursued by up to five light aircraft. Okay, so a lot going on there as this sighting began. Again, this is, you know, not as heavy as the Fred Valentich one. I know that was kind of kind of tough to go over. But this is a, a sighting here where you're talking about a bunch of kids at school, okay? And you're talking about them seeing this cylindrical-shaped type of aircraft flying through the air. And they're trying to make sense of it. And they're like, well, you know, what, what's going on here? And if this story reminded you of the 1996 mass sighting out of uh, Zimbabwe Elementary School, then you thought of the same thing that I did because that is the first thing that popped into my head. I actually spoke about it with uh, Nick Pope 
just a couple weeks ago on the first episode of UAP Weekly. We talked about that Zimbabwe case together. And it's stories like these where you have, I mean, personally for me, that really hold a lot of water. Because I've said this before when it comes to the the, uh, Zimbabwe case, which is to this day one of the most fascinating cases that I have ever spoken about or ever investigated is that Zimbabwe school case. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I did do an entire episode back on it. Um, I forget where it was, but you can search back. It's in there. It's uh, Mass Sightings. Undeniable Mass Sightings was the name of the episode. And I talk about this uh, Zimbabwe elementary school sighting that took place. I mean, over 60 school children seeing the same thing. They they all drew it. They all held their same story for even years after it when they were all interviewed. So I'll say it again when it comes to this Westall case out of Australia. When you have a big group of kids who can all agree on what they saw and still describe it the same way years later, it becomes, to me, very hard to say that they were all making this up. They all saw something. I guess the argument happens where you start to discuss, well, okay, you saw something, but what did you see? Were your eyes playing tricks on you? That's where you kind of start to have the arguments. In fact, though, it's not just the kids who saw this UAP in 1966 in uh, Westall, Australia, at the Westall High School. One of their teachers actually saw it as well. A teacher at the time named Andrew Greenwood was there at the Westall High School, and he was adamant about what he saw, just like the students would not back off his story. He said, no, I know what I saw, and it was a, 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 a genuine UFO. That was their story. They could not explain what they saw. The only problem was he wasn't allowed to say anything about it. Here's a little bit more about that, and you hear from Andrew Greenwood here in an interview he did with a, a local news station. I was threatened. On the Oval, he and 200 students saw three of them. It was a grey almost cylindrical um, or cigar-shaped object. Aha! <laughs> did that make your ears perk up a little bit? It did for me. Cigar-shaped. I mean, that you talk about the, a classic case here of one of the, you know, the shapes that we always hear about. It's the tic-tac. It's the triangle. We talked about that in the beginning with the 29 Palms recent sighting. It's, you know, of course, the, the classic saucer shape, right? And we always hear about the cigar shape, right? That kind of elongated cylindrical shape that people seem to mention. In other rarer cases, maybe some diamond shapes. We've heard about those before. Most famously, the Calvine UFO sighting where we, you know, they have the picture of that thing with an airplane going after it. But in this case, it was the classic cigar shape. Outside of that, the amount of people who say that they were witnesses to the sighting is also pretty astonishing. We're talking about, yeah, this is a big number. This is why it's such a famous case out of Australia. We're talking about over 200 students, along with teachers. Andrew Greenwood wasn't the only one, the only teacher who saw this. He may be one of the only teachers who are willing to discuss what they saw, but he wasn't the only member of faculty who saw this, along with over 200 students who say they saw this strange craft that day as it hovered in the sky, by the way, for nearly 20 minutes. It's not like this thing was just you know, flew over the school and that was the end of it. It hovered there for like 15 to 20 minutes. It doesn't end there, though. There was actually physical evidence here to uh, consider as well, even though work was being done to cover up this entire incident. Listen to how this uh, developed as the government started to tell them, no, you didn't see anything. You saw a weather balloon. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It was suggested that what everyone saw might have been a weather balloon, but this didn't match up with the descriptions of the people on the ground. And if it was just a weather balloon, then why was a circular area of flattened grass discovered near where the object was seen? Why were the army reported in the area and when queried on it, denied personnel had visited? Why was it that each time a local newspaper, the Dandenong Journal, tried to get more detailed information from those who saw it, they got nowhere and it came to be understood that the students and the staff had been instructed to talk to no one about the incident. Well then, there you go. It's a classic case of a cover-up, isn't it? Or at least it sounds like it. Look, like I said, when you're talking about... 200 people, over 200 people saying they saw the same thing and everybody's single description matches, it's really hard to deny that they at least saw something that they can't explain. Just, I mean, think about like a crime scene. Think about if, if you witness, you know, a shoplifting incident and you're in a store with 50 other people. You're going to have 10 people say that the shoplifter was wearing a blue shirt. You're going to have 10 other people say the shoplifter was wearing a red shirt. You're going to have 10 other people say that the shoplifter wasn't wearing a shirt at all. And you're going to have the rest of the group say, no, I swear to you, it was yellow and they had a tattoo on their face. So I'm saying, I mean, that's just how it works. That's psychology. That's the, the, the witness syndrome. You have people who see or remember different things about a given incident. But when you have an incident like this... Or in Zimbabwe, where you have multiple people, or in 29 Palms that we talked about, with over 50 people saying they saw what they saw with the Triangle UAP. When you have giant groups of people who can all agree on the details, that's astonishing. I mean, it just is. And when you have a government that, and back in 1966, I mean, this is common practice. No, you didn't see anything at all, right? The Jedi mind trick. These aren't the droids you're looking for. You didn't see anything. It was a weather balloon. But you can't convince over 200 people that what they saw was just a simple weather balloon. You can't do it. You can try. You can also intimidate them and tell them not to talk about it. But the story lives on, obviously, as we're talking about it here today. And one of the students, a woman named Terry Peck, she describes now as, you know, an older woman, what it was like for her when she says she witnessed the craft actually landing Okay, so this is more than just hovering at this point. She says, and other people say that actually they saw this thing land, like we're talking about the physical evidence there, having the the imprint in the ground. She says this is what she saw when that happened. I could feel a heat and hear this buzzing sound, and I could see purple lights all around it. So we're talking, uh, you know, sight, we're talking feel, we're talking feeling that heat. Coming off of the craft, is that some type of radiation, you know, uh, being emitted from the craft? We've heard about things like that before when it comes to these UAP that, that people come across. Now, there weren't any reports of radiation burns or radiation poisoning, so that's kind of curious. But if you're talking about this thing actually landing, that would go along with the reports of this imprint that was left in the ground outside the park there. And you're talking about, you know, fighter jets or, you know, different type of uh, aircraft going after this, after it was kind of, you know, uh, disappeared. All of a sudden you have all these different aircraft that are showing up. It's just, weather balloon doesn't add up for me. I'm sorry. You can make an argument for something else, but weather balloon isn't adding up for me. They actually, at uh, in that area now where 
they had the imprint of this UAP. There's actually a playground there now because it's there's still a school there actually in in Westall. And as part of the playgrounds, they built a saucer-shaped type of structure there that where kids can play in and come out of it. So it's part of the lore there in that area of Australia. But if we are to believe these all these claims when it comes to Westall, then this case for me was another classic example of a cover-up. I mean, just textbook government cover-up, intimidation, and quite frankly, misdirection. Government agents threatening teachers and students, telling them that, that they didn't see anything, even though they told them not to talk about it. So if you didn't see anything, why are you being told not to talk about it, right? And if I could go back just a bit real quick, when you have a supposed, you know, the physical evidence we're talking about with, with the imprint being left in the ground or seeing the military aircraft in the air shortly after the sighting, it really does become pretty hard to me personally to explain it all the way as a weather balloon. Or worse yet, just your imagination. I mean, that's got to be frustrating for anybody who saw, you know, what they say they saw. Oh, it was just your imagination. No, it wasn't. You know what I mean? That must be super frustrating for them. And to be honest, we thought that type of approach was starting to change, right? You know, with the congressional hearings, with the uh, emergence of the Aero Department, where they're going to be investigating all of these UAP claims, But this latest UAP sighting going back to the 29 Palms base, I mean, the Pentagon had a response to that saying that nothing happened. So to me, it just goes to show that we really haven't come as far in this direction of disclosure and this this effort of disclosure, I should say, than maybe we thought. I mean, because if you're talking about a case from 1966 with this Westall sighting and then you want to relate it to what just happened This past week, where the video is released of the 29 Palms Black Triangle UAP being seen by over 50 military personnel at this base, and you have this response from the Pentagon saying, well, there was a training exercise in the area, and we don't have any reports of this type of uh, aircraft being seen. So you're just going 1966 to now 2023. You're doing the same thing. You are completely discounting the witness testimony and accounts of people who say, I was there and I saw it. And with the difference now being in the modern day, as opposed to 1966, where you don't have cell phone video. Now in 2023, there are pictures and video of this 29 Palms aircraft or craft, unidentified craft, I should say, that was seen flying over the base. So for the Pentagon to have the same type of response that the Australian government had back in 1966 is just, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it, it, it's unreal, really, honestly. Like, I, I'm at a loss for words when you really kind of think about it, that they have the gall, the Pentagon, that is, to come out and say here in 2023 when there is cell phone, video, and pictures and over 50 witnesses, military personnel, who say they saw this unidentified black triangle, the lights in the sky, and their response is to say, well, we don't have any reports of it. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> they just they just put them down and say, nah, you didn't see anything. So I don't know. I mean, maybe not much as maybe not as much as has changed as we like to think it it has, but like I said, you know, it's it's you kind of I leave it up to you what's going on with all of this, whether it's 1966 or this week 
with the military base. It's just wild to me, though, how the response has essentially stayed the same all these years later. Before we go, um, I want you to hear one more thing. It's I think it's important to hear one more time from this teacher, Mr. Greenwood, because I think it wraps it up pretty nicely in his own words as he tells how he was approached and intimidated when uh, he wanted to talk about what he saw. They told me that I was wrong, that I hadn't seen anything. And if he spoke up? Clearly you were drunk on duty and that will have to be reported to the education department and of course you'll lose your job. And that is what I find most interesting of all, uh, that, that I was definitely being to be quiet. Yeah, I mean, classic intimidation. And I mean, this was an interview that was done again with a local news station there um, in, in Australia in the Westall area where he was talking about, this is the first time I'm going to speak about this. I mean, you're, you're talking, what, over over 50 years later? I think it was 55 they did the, that interview that you heard him there in 2021. So it was 55 years that it took him to come out and actually talk about this. The intimidation that kept him under wraps for 55 years before he finally decided as an old man now to come out and talk about what he saw that day at the West Hall High School. It's just incredible to me. And it was... They actually brought in some of the kids who are, again, fully grown adults now um, in their older age. And they all drew. They asked him, hey, draw just for us, you know, what, what you saw. And they all drew the same thing, just like the school children in Zimbabwe. They did, they did that same exact experiment. Hey, draw for us what you saw. And it's all the same. Again, it's hard to get a group of witnesses to tell you the same exact thing at a crime scene, let alone 200 witnesses. When they say they all saw the same type of craft flying in the air. That's just something to think about. That's all. I hate to say this, but I did have more that I wanted to cover here in this episode. But I didn't want to kind of, you know, sell these other stories short just to cram in more content. I wanted to give them the time that they deserved. So, I guess I'll just have to do it in a part two episode on these sightings down under. So, in episode 70 of UAP, we're going to do part two of these Australian sightings because really there is there's a lot more um, that I wanted to get to, especially this one story is absolutely fascinating. Again, having to do um, with uh, in the same area, actually, around Westall and this one woman back in 1991 with a diamond-shaped craft that she says that she saw. You talk about intimidation. My gosh, what they did to, the, to this woman. So we're going to get into that in episode 70 of UAP, and I look forward to doing that with you, hopefully sooner rather than later. But nevertheless, uh, UAP Weekly, of course, will come out next week, and I'll have all the latest UAP news and notes for you on that one. But when it comes to this, these stories that we went over, like I always like to say, those are the details. That, that's, you know, my opinion with some things, but you make up your own mind. I mean, did these people really see what they say they saw? Was it a weather balloon? Was nothing there? Or did they, you know, have a genuine type of encounter with uh, otherworldly craft? But until next time, here on UAP, you can uh, continue to download and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You know, it's Apple, it's Spotify, Amazon, whatever works for you. You can also always follow the show on Twitter at UAPodcast850. Again, that's at UAPodcast850 where you can interact with me directly or with any of your feedback that you have or stories of your own that you would actually like to relate to me. And um, I could always tell those on the air if it's okay with you. If not, if you just want to get it off your chest, that's fine too. But that's where you can find me and the show 
on social media at UA Podcast 850 on Twitter. So it's Stephen Diener here on UAP saying so long for now, and I'll speak with you again soon. Until then, be well, and as always, thank you very much.